Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Marianne Russo. I'd like to acknowledge my co-hosts tonight that are over on the Twitter tweet chat, Mae Wilkinson and Chuck Wally. You can join them with the hashtag TCK and discuss the interview. I am honored tonight to have Dr. Duncan McKinley as my guest. He is a psychologist in Ontario. Um, he himself was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome at the age of 19, and um, as he's going to tell us, you know, he knew that he had this secret by age seven. And, um, you know, what he has done with his life and done for families and children and adults with Tourette's is just unbelievable. Um, He is the author of Nix Your Your Ticks, which is amazing. And he is the creator of the award-winning documentary, Life's a Twitch. Um, He also, as is featured this month in the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry, um, they're featuring the first-ever Canadian guidelines for treatment of tick disorders. And um, his non-pharmacological treatment for ticks um, outlined in Nixture Ticks um, received a strong level one, and it is now considered one of the first-line treatments. So I'm honored. Dr. McKinley, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased to be on. I'm very impressed with uh, uh, what it is that, that, that you and your organization do for, for families and parents out there. And, and uh, uh, I mean, I'm impressed with all the... Uh, the, the, the folks who've been interviewed before me, so I'm in, I'm in good company. Yes, you, you certainly are. We're, we're really just so fortunate um, that we've had so many people on to help uh, these families because we're struggling. Um, you know, these are very complicated um, disorders that we're dealing with. And um, tonight we're going to be speaking about Tourette's, but not just Tourette's because, um, you know, Tourette's is just a, a big ball of wax. Um, there's a lot of comorbidity or... Um, you know, maybe it's a spectrum. We're going to discuss that too. Um, but you know, let's start at the beginning with the the onset of ticks. Um, you yourself um, have Tourette syndrome, and you knew it from a very young age. So um, why don't we first go over a little bit about tell us a little bit about yourself, and then let's talk about. Um, you know, I know all our kids are very unique, and there's no one size fits all. But you know, what is the typical age of onset, and what are some signs parents would look for? Sure. Um... And uh, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of all the uh, the, the, the comorbidity and the, the, the big ball of stuff that um, those of us, those few and far between of us that uh, uh, work in Tourette's clinics around the country are are, uh, are are in secret is that even though we call ourselves Tourette's clinics, we're really uh, in practice the everything that goes along with Tourette's clinics. That, uh, you know, whether it's a... A, a frazzled parent or a burnt-out teacher or, or, or what have you, usually when people are coming in to see us, they're saying, my God, I wish he would just tick. You know, it's all the, uh, all, the, right. the all the blow-ups, all the sensory sensitivities, all the uh, perseverations, all the impulsivity, all the inattention that's causing more of the issues. Um, but in, in terms of your question, uh, when do... Um, when do ticks typically start? Um, there, there have been some uh, very big studies looking into you know, normal uh, epidemiological uh, uh, factors internationally. In fact, there's a, a database called the Tick Database. It stands for the Tourette Syndrome International Consortium of Studies. And um, last I checked, I believe there's about 26 countries that are contributing data into um, that massive database. And uh, what they found is that um, it, it's a- around the age of six on average. Um, oh, it, okay. Six uh, first start. 
Now, the comorbid issues could be occurring earlier, ADHD, certainly there can be uh, uh, signs of that a lot earlier, but on average, you know, between five and six. I'm surprised. I thought it was um, actually a little bit older because my daughter um, was about five. Um, and hers, you know, I, I know that we've discussed this before about, um, you know, whether it's pandas or not pandas, but hers did start after a, a, a strep infection that didn't um, go away after three um, rounds of antibiotics. Um, it was very, very sudden onset. Um, so it, the typical age then is much younger than I thought. I thought it was more like 9 to 13. Wow, that's young. Well, the, what, what's been found is that the uh, the progression is a bit um, the, bimodal. There's bimodal peaks that... that People first start uh, ticking, people first notice the surge around uh, five or six, and then around that time that you're discussing, around the 10 and a half, 11, um, is another peak where, um, in fact, uh, studies that uh, look retroactively at sort of quote-unquote worst ever tick period tends to be around 10 and a half. And so I think um, certainly that things are more obvious then, maybe things are harder for kids to, to hide or suppress by by that age so they get noticed, or the ticks are a little bit more at that point, um, uh, maybe, maybe obvious as ticks. That uh, When ticks first start, they, they start um, uh, uh, typically in, in the face, and, and they're usually pretty uh, normal subtle motor movements that are just coming out a little bit more than they should, things like eye blinking and, and, and sniffing. And, and so um, oftentimes, even though those are bona fide ticks, those are common ticks, and, and they're, they're starting much earlier than the 10 and a half, um, you get families and, and doctors running through the gamut of other possibilities first, thinking, well, maybe my child has dry eyes. Maybe my child... Um, uh, needs to see a, an ear, nose, and throat specialist. They're clearing the throat all the time, and, right. and so so maybe as ticks progress, uh, become a little bit more um, uh, uh, complex, um, people start to catch on. Right. You know, it was, it was back then. I mean, the internet was fairly new, and um, I remember just going online one night and typing in throat clearing and lining <coughs> things up, and boom, it just came up. Um, you know, but when when my daughter first um, started having all of these symptoms, you know, I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't understand what she was going through. She was so young. So um, I went to local support groups. Uh, right. They allowed me to go in and speak to kids and teens that had Tourette's. And one thing they all relayed to me, um, and, I mean, universally, they all said the same thing, that they had a feeling of inner restlessness yes. before the onset of ticks ever began, and that that restlessness remains with them. And one boy explained it to me as an itch that he can't scratch right. and that it makes it difficult to learn and focus and even make friends. So what can you tell us as parents or educators, because we get a lot of teachers that listen to the show, about this inner restlessness so we can understand these kids a little better? Sure, and, and that's a great question. There's a lot I can say about that. Um, the technical term for it is a premonitory urge, but much more commonly you do get um, you know, articulate young lads like the one you uh, mentioned uh, describing as like an itch or other kids might call it like a tingle or a pressure or even a sensation of, 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 of heat building up. Um, basically, this premonitory urge element, it's something that a lot of people don't know about ticks and, it, and it's, it's actually a crucial piece on a number of levels to understand about ticks. Uh, from a diagnostic standpoint, first of all, 
there's a lot of movement disorders out there, of course, but um, having the movement um, preceded by this, uh, by this promontory urge is unique to ticks. And so that's why, for example, even though I'm a psychologist, I'm not a quote-unquote real doctor, I'm not a physician, I didn't go through medical school, um, I can still diagnose uh, Tourette syndrome competently because there are certain questions that even though I'm not trained in all these other movement disorders like a neurologist would be, um, there are certain questions that you can ask that, uh, for example, once, once you know that there is this promontory urge, this, this itch component uh, coming first, you can immediately eliminate all sorts of other neurological possibilities um, right off the bat. So, I mean, it's important diagnostically, but it's also important in terms of, uh, like you mentioned, teachers listening, that um, I know a common thing, uh, well, and, and certainly I spend a lot of my time when I'm doing presenting um, helping, to, uh, helping to educate because I, I meet a lot of really well-intentioned people where their well-intentioned ideas are blowing up in their well-intentioned faces simply because they're underinformed. Uh, they haven't been given the, the information, the tools they need to... Uh, uh, to, to help these kids and, and to get the classroom rolling smoothly or the, or the family functioning or what have you. And uh, so helping teachers to understand that actually the tick isn't the involuntary part, it's the itch that's the involuntary part, um, really helps to explain some different uh, things that, that they often see in the classroom. So, for example, I'll often hear from well, not just, I also want to pick on teachers. I'll hear from parents, too. Well, I don't know if that's a tick. I don't really buy that, you know, Johnny's got Tourette's because when I tell him to stop, he can. And if you hear that this is a neurological disorder and that they can't help it and that it's in the brain and blah, 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 and yet they're, they're stopping when you give them holy hell about it, um, well, that doesn't seem very neurological to me until you understand that, Really, the reason these kids are ticking, like, to follow the analogy through, if the, if the promontory urge is the itch, the tick is the scratch. Right. And so if you think of, um, if, it, it, I, I'll invite your audience members to think about if they're covered with mosquito bites or if they're covered with poison ivy or if they have the chicken pox, um, just the, the impact that, um, you know, not wanting to scratch the chicken pox because you'll leave a scar or what have you. The impact of, say, sitting through school all day, being covered with all of these itches and sensations, you, your skin practically writhing under your clothes, you know, screaming at you for attention. And, um, but but you, you, you can't itch it, you don't want to itch it, you'll get in trouble if you itch it. It helps to explain a lot of what you see with these kids. It, it, it helps to explain why... Uh, their Jekyll at nine in the morning and a frothing, seething, non-compliant hide by two in the afternoon because um, they're exhausted from holding Absolutely. in, you know, all these itches. It also yeah, helps. They walk. They walk in the door after school and there's just an explosion. Well, that um, of ticks there, from from suppressing it. It's it's horrible for these kids. There, there, there's eight hours of not scratching the itch, so to speak, and and it helps um, people to understand too that. You know, it, 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 it's not only uh, typical, but it's expected that a person with Tourette syndrome um, can have some loose, slippery control over that scratch. But um, so, so for example, if I um, if, if if I went to school every day and I went to my math class, and whenever I ticked, my math teacher would uh, 
you know, point at me and ridicule me and send me out in the hallway and, and I'd get laughed at. And then I'd go off to gym, and in gym, every time I tick, um, the gym teacher comes over and, and uh, says, well, uh, I know you have Tourette's, you know, that looks like it's painful. Do you want a neck massage? Um, it's not going to take very – I didn't fall off the apple cart yesterday. It's not going to take very long until I'm never ticking in math class and I'm ticking all the time in gym class. And, of course, the irony there is that from an old-school perspective, people would think, well, that math teacher is doing something right um, because uh, she, she got rid of the ticks, and, and that gym teacher must be doing something wrong because that kid's ticking all over the place in the gym class. And so we would be, first of all, assuming that this, this kid must just be playing the teachers. It must just be a behavioral thing because he, he can hold it in in one place and not in another. Um, but also, we'd probably be getting after that gym teacher for being a crappy teacher because apparently he can't keep this child under control the way the wonderful math teacher can. And right. so it really leads to a, a whole lot of interesting discussions. Even even things like when teachers will say, "Well, you know, he'll I'll I'll, I'll yell at him, I'll give him the evil eye, to give him to stop ticking, and he'll stop ticking, oh. but then I'll turn back to the board and he'll do it again, and I'll turn around quick and he'll stop and he'll just kind of you know smile at me." And so. Teachers, understandably, then who who have been you know underinformed, will get really angry, thinking this kid's really screwing with me. He's just you know pushing the envelope. But of course, it's it, again, it's not unlike if you've got this itch that you just absolutely have to scratch, and and mom's telling you don't scratch it; it'll spread the poison ivy, and she leaves the room. Yeah, you dig in when no one's looking. If she comes back in, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's just, it's so it's, it's so heartbreaking. And, you know, I think that we've made great strides as parents advocating for these kids. Um, but, you know, it is so hard because it's not just as simple as we're going to talk about of the, of the simple ticks or the complex ticks. It is an inner restlessness. It is a sensation in the body that is very difficult to deal with. Um, and, you know, a lot of, this is a genetic disorder. Is that correct? Yep. Okay, so it's a genetic disorder. So I think a lot of confusion comes into play. Um, oftentimes parents, many parents, um, you know, say to me that um, the they, child went on a stimulant for behaviors, um, for right. ADHD or whatever, or and then they that. developed the tics. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important that parents understand that the stimulant did not cause the tics. Um, you know, now, and what I'd like for you to explain is, um, you know, how the gene is expressed or turned on, um, or is it, a, is it because it's changing the neurotransmitters, the norepinephrine, the dopamine? Um, why does that happen to some children that go on the stimulants is my first question. And then the next follow-up question would be, um, does it abate? when the stimulant is removed, or is it best to maybe add something else or do a different treatment um, if the if the stimulant is helping in other areas? Sure. Oh, you've got excellent questions. Um, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> a few things I can say to that. Um, one, one is that, um, um, well, stimulant medications do impact uh, dopamine levels, and, and dopamine uh, um, or sensitivity to dopamine is, is what's involved with uh, Tourette's syndrome. Um, now, you know, we, we're talking about, uh, you know, before the program started even, how, you know, wonderful Internet and all, all these things that, you know, blog radios and such that it allows. Um, of course, then there's the other side of the tracks of the Internet. 
<laughs> where right. you know uh, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> clinicians like myself have been trying to expunge this myth that um, that stimulant medications cause Tourette's or or increase tics in all kids with Tourette's um, for ages and ages. It, it was it was a really bad study that was done in the early 80s that has been thoroughly debunked. And yet, of course, the the the, um, the 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 myth persists. I guess to more directly answer your question, what and, and I'll just try to summarize a lot of research here. Basically, what we found is that um, if you if you're going to have Tourette's anyway, if you if you've got those genes, if if the Tourette's is on its way anyway, a stimulant medication will serve as a catalyst. It will mm-hmm. speed up. The, um, the introduction of those ticks. When you were talking earlier about, you know, there being a variance in when people first show ticks, that could be one factor involved, that um, maybe you get ticks six months earlier than the average because uh, uh, your ADHD came out first and someone thought to put you on a stimulant medication. Um, now, that being said, there's also now, and, and again, there, there's, this has been replicated again and again and again. There's a global consensus working group in the ADHD area that has firmly supported this stance. Stimulants don't automatically equal ticks or more ticks. In fact, what studies have shown is that for every child, when they're put on stimulant medication, their ticks get worse. There's another child that when they're put on stimulant medication, the ticks get better. And sure. for another child, again, where the ticks aren't influenced at all. In fact, actually, one thing even I mentioned in my book is that if if you've got ADHD, I, I highly recommend um, that a person optimize their, their treatment of ADHD with stimulant medication before they start using the treatment in NICS um, because they're going to be a lot more successful at um Absolutely. Absolutely. I just had Dr. Charles Parker while we were debunking the um, New York Times um, op-ed. Um, and, you know, basically that's what we were saying, that a lot of these kids need to be on the stimulants so that they are approachable for other therapies. Exactly. It, it, in fact, when you talk about the big ball of wax or what have you, all these different uh, things, what do you deal with first? Um, right. Pretty much always, I mean, very rarely there'd be an exception, but pretty much always it's the ADHD first because you're going to get more traction with everything else once they're right. a little less impulsive, once they can attend a little better. Now, and that's the the next um, group of questions I was going to go into. I don't want to interrupt you, so, but you can finish okay. your I just, thought. I just wanted to finish answering that question because you asked if the ticks abate after stopping the stimulant, and it depends. As mm-hmm. I say, if it's just a side effect, if you're if if you don't have Tourette's, if you're 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 just on the wrong stimulant, or um, like for example, the dextroamphetamine mixtures seem to be mm-hmm. or the wrong uh, dose, right? Yeah, the wrong dose, or the or dextroamphetamine mixture seems to cause ticks more than the methyl um, amphetamine. Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, you know, if, if you're on the wrong dose or, or what have you and the ticks um, start coming out and then you stop the medication, yeah, then the ticks go away. However, as I say, if you were going to have Tourette's anyway and the, all the stimulant did was catalyze the appearance of them, um, that, that, that's, that's when going off the stimulant medication isn't going to make the ticks go away because... Um, the ticks didn't. The ticks weren't caused by the stimulant in the first place. They just sped up their arrival. Right. That's what I really was wanted you to just get out there to the parents because I think that that is really a misconception that sure. um, you know parents have to understand that it, it doesn't cause Tourette's. 
Um, you know, the Tourette's is there. Um, <clears throat> you know, just briefly before we go into the ball of wax, because we are going to go into depth a little bit about comorbidity, but um, I did want to talk about um, the different types of tics, because there are simple tics, there are complex tics, there's, mm-hmm. tics, there's echolalia, um, and the myth of this being the cursing disease. And um, right. coprolalia is actually quite rare in the, the yes. uh, in Tourette's. So can you just go briefly through the different types of tics and um, explain, you know, I don't even know how this whole thing that, um, you know, it's the cursing disease because it is so rare and parents just fear it. Right. Actually, the, the, way, the way that um, got started was the original paper written back in 1885 by um, George Gilles de la Tourette. Um, the, the patient that he was chronicling, uh, the Marquis de Pierre, um, had that particular symptom. And so in his initial paper, he postulated um, that perhaps one of the dimensions of this disorder was um, that tick. And so that, uh, again, has been something that's it's not part of the diagnostic criteria. Less than, less than 10% of people have it, uh, even rarer in children, even rarer, again, in mild cases. Usually it's the comorbidity that brings it out. But you're right, it's, been a, it's very media-friendly, and, 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 you know, it's... Right. it's be well for comedians to go to, so it's. Um, I think that's probably that probably explains the, uh, the 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 continuation of that uh, belief more than anything. It's it's titillating, um, but you, yeah, you mentioned that there's simple and complex ticks. You're absolutely right, and the simple ticks are, you know, things like sniffing and eye blinking or or um, a simple throat clear. The things that can be misunderstood uh, as other perhaps medical issues. Um, the complex ticks. You mentioned a couple, the coprolalia and the echolalia. Um, basically, just just to give a quick Latin 101, the, the lalia means speech, and and um, praxia means uh, movement. And so echolalia is a speech tick. It's when you repeat back what other people say. Palalalia is when you repeat, repeat back your own, 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 own words like that. And, of course, copper lalia is, is the um, saying inappropriate things. And, actually, people think it's all about swearing. It's not even that. Copper lalia is just saying inappropriate things. If I, if, if, if I walk into a bank and see someone of a different ethnicity and I blurt out a racial slur, that, that's copper lalia, too. And then the flip side, there's not only echolalia, um, palalalia, and copper lalia. There's also then the praxias, echopraxia, where you imitate the movements of someone else palapraxia, where you do um, your own movement over and over again, or copopraxia, where you do something inappropriate, like, say, shooting someone the finger. Right, right. You know, but getting back to the the simple tick, my daughter, um, after the throat clearing and everything, she went into the blinking. And um, I was very fortunate I got in touch with, I don't know if you know, Bonnie Grimaldi. Um, Her son had uh, Tourette's Syndrome Plus, um, as they call it when there's the comorbidity, and she had developed a vitamin um, Regimen. Oh yeah. And she told me one. She told me one day. She she's fantastic. Um, she, one day she told me, you know, have you tried a little bit of thiamine? Well, I I mean it may be it was a fluke, but it happened several times. Um, as soon as she would get the blinking tick, I gave her a little bit of thiamine, and within two days it was gone. It oh. was just amazing. It was well, amazing. you know, I I just read a quote the other day on Google that said, if a placebo effect creates um, real change, is it any less real than an actual real treatment. <laughs> Absolutely. Who, <laughs> oh, who cares? Kind of <laughs> right. If it's benign, who cares? Yeah. 
So this is Tourette syndrome is a neurobiological disorder, and it's often comorbid with um, mental illnesses such as OCD, ADHD, bipolar, Asperger's. Um, it, it other many people refer to it as Tourette's plus. Yep. Um, so one of my first questions is: If this is a neurological disorder, why is it? Um, why is the criteria for it in the DSM? Okay, yeah, that's a good question because um, you're right that, that where a lot of people um, a lot of people try to figure out is this is this neurological, is it psychological, is it psychiatric, and really it's a bit of a it's a bit of a semantics game that. I mean, right. we are neurological beings. Everything is neurological. I mean, ADHD is neurological too. OCD is neurological too. Me talking to you on a blog radio is a neurological act. I mean, um, we're neurological beings. And so um, I think a better way of understanding it, the way I often explain it to people, is um, rather than looking at it as an either-or, is it neurological or psychological or sociological or psychiatric, think of all those different terms as levels of explanation. Like if I mm-hmm. if I go if 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 I go to the edge of a lake, I um, can analyze each grain of sand individually and be interested in how all those grains of sand are interacting. And that would probably be a neurological perspective. I could also just look at the entire beach as a whole and and describe sort of you know how it uh, you know how it makes me feel maybe that's what we would call the psychological level. Um, right. I, I I could watch people interacting on the beach and how they interact differently on the beach rather than you know on the highway, and make some sociological comments. So it's really it's it, it's still it's all the same thing. It's just how how fine grained are you getting in the analysis. Right. And, you know, to me it's very similar to, like, autism, that they feel that it's not a mental illness. To me, and this is my very personal opinion, um, you know, with my daughter with the OCD and, you know, her tics are gone now. But, um, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. Um, it's Like you said, it's just a big ball of wax. But one of the things that I think is different about Tourette's comorbidity with these other disorders is that for some reason, um, as like with my, my daughter, um, the other disorders present differently. Um, so I wanted to go through that a little bit. Like, We'll start with OCD. My daughter has Tourette's OCD, um, which comes from the expression of the Tourette's gene. And um, it's different than the classic OCD. There isn't the rituals and compulsions. It's um, evening up. It's um, more panic and fear. So, you know, how does Tourette's syndrome affect OCD, it's probably the most comorbid, wouldn't you say, of the disorders that goes with Tourette's. And in disorders like ADHD, bipolar, or Asperger's, do they present differently if it's based on, um, if it's comorbid with Tourette's? Sure. Um, now, ADHD, um, which is which is probably uh, the most common comorbid, um, it, it's you know, when, when when ADHD and Tourette's are comorbid, it's just ADHD and tics. I mean, it doesn't really impact the uh, the expression of ADHD. Uh, but you're absolutely right about the OCD. That, um, as you mentioned, um, the, the, there's a lot more things like evening up involved with it. Now, you, you'd mentioned that she has evening up instead of rituals and compulsions. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. going to I'm, I'm just going to uh, reframe that a little bit. 
it's it's not uh, an either or with with rituals or compulsions. Everyone with OCD has rituals and compulsions. It's more about which subtype of rituals and compulsions you have. And so okay. um, the the most common type of OCD that people have ever heard of is where the rituals and 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 compulsions are around contamination and and and, and cleaning germs and that sort of thing. Uh, the, probably the most common subtype in um, OCD comorbid with Tourette's is uh, what we call, quote-unquote, just right OCD. And the compulsions there are things like evening up, ordering things, uh, making things symmetrical, trying to make things, quote-unquote, perfect. Um, the other subtype, actually, that's quite common in um, OCD comorbid with Tourette's is what we call bad thoughts OCD. And this yes. is... Mm-hmm. is really, it tends to be a little bit more under the radar because, again, kids with this particular nasty type of OCD, they didn't fall off the car yesterday. They realize all these horrendous, horrific um, thoughts that are popping into their head around aggression or, or sex or religion. Um, they, they, they know these are horrible thoughts, and, and they're petrified that these thoughts mean that they're a bad person or that other people are going to think they're a bad person. So they really, really try to... Um, uh, keep them keep them under wraps. The the compulsions that you tend to see with those kids is um, just asking the same question over and over and over and over again. This constant need for reassurance. You know, do you love me? Are you mad at me? Is mom okay? Do you think I'm going to go to hell? Do you think God hates me? Am I doing this right? Is um, did I hurt my sister? Um, are you sure you're not upset? And and that uh, that ritual or compulsion is often the only tell that these kids have 24-7 just, uh, you know, horrible um, uh, guilt-inducing, you know, medley of of bad thoughts in their head that they are trying to make go away. And it's so hard for the parents because, you know, you want to give them relief, um, but you don't want to overly participate, and it's it's so difficult. It's such a fine line. Um, You know, one thing I found interesting that I was told – because this is my other daughter, this isn't the one that had the Tourette's, um, is that girls can actually have Tourette's OCD and not have any tics, where boys, he had explained to me, would more than likely have both tics and the OCD. Well, um, if, if a person has, if a person doesn't have tics, then, then they don't have Tourette's, because that's that's really all that diagnosis is. But... Um, I guess, I guess I, I, let, let me clarify because I think I know where you're going with this. Um, pe- the, 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 the four different subtypes of OCD, we've mentioned three. There's the contamination one, there's the just right one, there's the bad thoughts one, and then there's, of course, the hoarding one as well. Um, yeah. Those four subtypes can occur in anyone. Yes, um, the just right OCD and the bad thoughts OCD is much more common when there's comorbid Tourette's. But, yeah, you can be a young girl with OCD um, and have one of those types that, that commonly co-occurs with Tourette's but not have Tourette's. So um, uh, it, well, in, in terms of um, boys versus girls, when there's both Tourette's and OCD, what the research shows is that boys tend to um, start showing their OCD very early. So there will be a young boy who will be showing his Tourette's and OCD, and then as they're gaining into the teen years, it's more often the girls that you'll right. see that will have both the Tourette's and the OCD. So by the time they're adults, it evens out. You know, it's just as um, likely in, in men and women. But 
when it first appears is a little different depending on which sex you are. Right. And I think for parents that have children that have Asperger's um, and Tourette's, it's difficult also because there's always the confusion, especially, you know, you've never dealt with this before, of what's a stim and what's a tick um, and, you know, what's sensory, what's not sensory. It, you know, it can be very confusing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the rages, you know, and I'm not saying all children with Tourette's rage. That, you know, I'm oh. not saying that. But a lot of kids do. Um, and, and what do you account for that? Um, is there usually um, the comorbidity with the ADHD or bipolar, or is it just the, the the frustration of the restlessness? Well, I think a bit of both. I think you've nailed it with both uh, your your, your uh, suggestions. That I mean, there there's that rage, rage is more common with the comorbidities, yes, and and um, you know the when you introduce in the OCD. Um, the ADHD, these other conditions, um, it's a lot. It's very frustrating because now you're not just dealing with dysregulation of your movements of your body, but you're dealing with dysregulation of your thoughts, of your emotions potentially, of your um, attention, of your impulses, and of course all the um, you know the societal response to that dysregulation, which just stresses you out more. And so yeah, I mean. Uh, I often talk about, I mean, pe- pe- people use the phrase low frustration tolerance often to um, describe these kids. And I often turn around and say, and say, no, that's actually misleading and a bit minimizing. These kids don't have low right. frustration tolerance. What they have is um, more frustration to tolerate, that everyone sort of has a breaking point And... For most people, they're sort of, you know, their beaker's empty enough inside, so to speak, that they can deal with a whole lot of crap on the outside before they reach that breaking point. But if you're trying to self-manage all of these different symptoms piled on top of one another, your beaker's already pretty full as soon as you wake up in the morning, and it doesn't take much. Right. And, you know, I would imagine that there's physical pain. You know, are these ticks like muscle spasms? Because it's like I don't have ticks. So it's hard for me to feel, understand that feeling. Um, you know, is it like a muscle spasm? Is it physical pain? And how do you deal with the pain on top of everything else? Well, certainly that can be another thing that leads to the frustration. Um, no, to go back to that scratch analogy I gave earlier, it's it's very much like scratch and mosquito bites. So it's 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 what doctors call an involuntary movement. So it's not voluntary. It's not you wake up in the morning and go, hey, I think it'd be a great idea to blink my eyes excessively all day. But it's not completely involuntary either. It's something, it's it's a forced choice, I suppose. The same way a really pernicious itch on your arm is a forced choice. I mean, if and, and this is another place where um, there can be misperceptions that if, if a kid does a tick and a, and, and a parent says, did you do that on purpose? Odds are the kid's going to say yes, uh, because if you have a mosquito bite on your arm and you go to scratch it, and uh, someone says, "Did you do that on purpose?" Well, yeah, I did. There's a little bit more to it than that. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I itched it because I was trying to solve a problem. I was trying to solve this inner, uh, you know, tension or restlessness. But um, no, it's not any kind of involuntary spasm or seizure. But okay. you know. There are times that scratching the itch doesn't it, it involves pain, which which is yeah, when it's really difficult that what I need to do to get rid of the itch is something that's going to hurt me. Oh okay, I get it. 
Now, and this is supposedly, from what I've heard, I'm an anxiety-driven disorder. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is the case, then how does anxiety affect tics? And why would anti-anxiety medications not be a first line instead of the neuroleptics? Um, you know, not that either one of them has no, you know, I, I think that the side effects would probably be less. Well, um, OCD is an anxiety disorder. The itch scratch there is um, a cognitive itch, a worry, an anxiety that then the compulsion scratches. Um, so Tourette's and OCD have that itch scratch cycle in common, but Tourette's isn't an anxiety disorder. It's really, it's more of a, um, well, as we've been saying, an itch a more of a motoric um, urge that needs to be satiated. So um, in the case of OCD, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the medications that are used are anti-anxiety medications, things like uh, the SSRI medications, mm-hmm. um, Zoloft and, and, and things like that. Um, yep. So, you know, a, a lot of parents are confused because they'll say, well, I don't have tics. Um, you know, my husband doesn't really have tics. You know, he has a little fidget with his finger. Um, but they have a child that has, you know, full-blown Tourette's. So, you know, how do you explain that? If, if yeah, parents say, well, we don't have Tourette's. That, that, that's a good question. I mean, the same is true in, in my family. There's no, no one else in my immediate family that has tics. Um, think of it as being like genetic Lego. That, um, you know, at, at one time, as most things are in mental health at one time, you know, it was all mom's fault. <laughs> that, you know, there was one gene, uh, it was a dominant trait, and, and mom carried the gene. So, you know, thanks a lot, mom. But uh, but that's been that's been debunked. We know now it's a lot more complicated than that. And, and the most, the most um, current theories that fit the available facts the best at this point is that there are a multitude of genes involved. It, it, some people have suggested as many as 80, eight zero genes may be involved in these um, disorders of, of, of uh, dysregulation. And so um, let, let me just make some numbers up. Let, let's say you need to have seven of these genes to have Tourette's. But if you've got uh, and if, if you've got three of these genes, you're just going to be a carrier. You're going to have the genes, but you're not going to show anything. And if you have four of these genes, that's maybe enough to show some OCD tendencies, but not enough to show Tourette's. Well, then, you can have, you know, mom who, on the surface, seems completely uh, uh, neurotypical, and, and but she's a carrier. And she hooks up with dad, who's maybe got some anxiety, a bit of OCD, um, they they get busy, they share their genes, four plus three is seven, and out pops their teretic child. Right, right. You know, one of the things that, um, we're getting a lot of questions, one question in particular that I want to ask you on the chat. Um, parents are asking how they tell the difference between stimming and a tick. That, you know, that's a very good question. Um, there, there's a lot of physicians that aren't quite sure about um uh, stereotypies versus ticks. Um, I, I can give you a few um, hints, I suppose. Um, for one thing, the, the, the stereotypies tend to be a little bit more um, uh, complex movements, um, things like you know clapping hands together, which involves a lot of muscle groups and it's in the extremities. Um, so, so the self-stimming seems to be a little bit more complex often than ticks. Um, self-stimming seems to occur more um, uh, just when a person's ex- 
excited, um, and whereas ticks, of course, will, will increase with stress, including excitement, but they're kind of, uh, in, in one way or another, always there. Um, ticks tend to change more over time. That You know, you, you, you have one for a while and then another one comes, whereas uh, self-stimming behaviors tend to be a little bit more static. You know, you, you know whatever your your choice of of, of self stim uh, stim behavior um, uh, choice being quotes, of course, it, it tends to be a little bit more constant. Right. That's that's great. Um, that's what they're asking us. Nick's your ticks. Yeah. I have to say, I don't have the book here right now because I gave my copy away. Who gave it to somebody else? And everyone just loves it. Um, Let's make so it <laughs> it's it, it's worth path, passing around. Um, in, in this book, you really have um, it, it just covers everything. It's a fantastic book, and you you also write about the personal choice of medicating, and you say that really um, it's a choice of either suppression or expression. And it is a medicating any child or adult is a very personal decision. And you know the newer neuroleptics have fewer side effects than the older drugs, but you still have to weigh the risk, you know, benefit. And, um, you know, I wanted you to talk about, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier when we started that, you know, they just have found that what you're um, teaching parents in Nixure Ticks is what they're finding is the first-line treatment. So can you, um, I, I want to make sure we get into this because we've already been almost 45 minutes into the interview. Oh, uh, Tell us I about like Nixure Ticks. <laughs> I like it too. Oh, we'll get along <laughs> um, Tell, tell us about Nixure Ticks, because really, I mean, parents need this information. And I also want you to talk about, you know, because medication is, some people need medication. Um, so talk about that, and then I do want to mention, before I forget, um, that we discussed last time you were on about the medication holidays. And a lot of parents are very anxious, I'm one of them, um, you know, who think maybe it's a great idea to take a break. I mean, in the old days, I've learned my right. lessons. Um, and why that's not a good idea. So tell us about Nix Your Ticks. Take your time because it's worth it. And then tell us about take, giving holidays for medications. Sure. Um, so in, in terms of uh, in Nix Your Ticks, the, the treatment in there, um, way way back in the day, actually I think the first paper written about it was the year I was born, 1973, um, it was called, uh, or at least a component of it, was called habit reversal training. And... Um, Habit reversal training worked really well for ticks, but it wasn't studied a whole lot. I mean, it, it, um, psycholo psychology studies generally aren't given as much um, funding or attention um, as medication trials, frankly, because there's not as much money to be made from them. And so this habit reversal training was kicking around for quite a while before it really got seriously looked at. And, and there were other um, more behavioral, psychological types of, of things like relaxation training or self-monitoring, um, social support, all sorts of different things that were being tossed around as possible um, treatments or ideas that could help non-pharmacologically with ticks. And, and so finally, um, and I give the Tretchum Association in the States full points for this, um, you know, they, they don't care whether, you know, they make lots of money from a treatment or not. They just want to help their constituency. They just want to know what works. And so they, um, they partially funded, along with the National Institute for Mental Health, um, a $6 million study, multi-year, multi-trial. It really was a big flagship study. Um, for about six, uh, data was being gathered for about six years down in the States to really 
comprehensively look at all the different um, behavioral ideas, not just habit reversal training, but you know the other stuff too, relaxation training, such, and what works, what doesn't. And basically, long story short, what they found, um, the, the, the things that work, they've, they've piled them together into what they call CBIT, the Comprehensive Behavioral Inter Intervention for Ticks. And basically, it's a compilation of all the things that behaviorally that work. Um, and by behaviorally, I, what I, I know there's lots of connotation of that um, term. Basically, what I mean by behavioral treatment is it's something you do rather than something you take. That's all I mean right. by it. So right. no implication to you know bad parenting or bad choices mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, so basically, all of these good behavioral techniques have been piled together and, and, and found to be, um, as, as you mentioned, is coming out in our guideline this month, um, you know, the most efficacious treatment out there, um, when even compared to medication, with, with lots too fewer side effects, uh, well, no side effects, and um, a, a, a treatment that you can tailor a lot more, uh, where you can actually choose the ticks that you want to get rid of and target them um, to decrease them. And, and it also lasts longer, too. One of the problems with medication treatments is that um, the, the relapse is high. As soon as you... Mm -hmm. pills don't, as soon as you're off the medication, you're off the treatment. But is you know, this like CBT at all, like cognitive behavioral therapy in a way, or is it very different? Um, it, it, it's more emphasis on the B in CBT. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, there okay. are a lot. Yeah, I got you. That uh, the, the the type of cognitive behavioral treatment that's used um, in OCD—it's the most effective treatment we have for OCD—is called exposure response prevention, and there are a lot of parallels between um, what I talk about in NICS, uh, this, this new evidence-based treatment for um, ticks and exposure response prevention. You, in a way, you could think about um, uh, CBIT or, or tick management as being like an ERP for ticks. It's a little bit more of a motoric ERP in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, you also write about, you know, because education is so hard with these special needs kids. And with kids with Tourette's, um, you know, you talk about, you know, I call it outing the child. Um, you know, and you wrote about how this was your big secret. And it was probably the worst kept secret in the world because, you know, kids see the differences anyway. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, how the importance of really outing your child's Tourette's to the school, to, you know, maybe other um, parents, um, with respect and compassion. Right. And, uh, yeah, th th there's some different tips I can give for that. I mean, you're right. that It's, it's one of these places where the road to hell is paved in good intentions, that, you know, you, 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 um, you don't want to bring more attention on the child, but ironically you tend to bring more attention on the child by not talking about it that kids, once they get what's going on, they very quickly move on. Whereas if they don't know what that tick is, they're going to react every time. They're going to bring even more attention to the ticks. They're going to get sensitized to the ticks rather than used to the ticks. If they think the kid's doing it just to get attention or because he's weird, then, you know, they're going to get even madder at him. They're going to ostracize him more. They're going to uh, ultimately, in a backwards sort of way, talking about your ticks is the best way of putting your ticks out of the picture. Um, and so in, in terms of some different hints, um, you know, when, when I advise people uh, um, to do in-services or when I do them myself, 
uh, first of all, I, I tell them, use really developmentally appropriate language and, and, and metaphors. That I, I do talk about itches and scratches, or you know, with, with OCD, I talk about it as being like an internet pop-up ad in your head that won't leave you alone. Like, well, that's it's good. Use <laughs> big, complicated language that that uh, might be technically correct. You know, it, it, people don't know what that means. It can cause more stigma and, and and more distance. Whereas, if you say to a bunch of kids, "Have you ever had a mosquito bite that you know just drove you nuts, and you wish you could stop scratching it, but you can't, and you're getting in trouble for scratching it, but you can't stop," all the kids can relate to that. And so you can then, through a, a universally relatable experience, help them to understand that that's what Johnny's going through. When he shakes his head, that's him scratching his itch. Um, I also, also think it's important to do it when they're young. Don't wait till they're the big problem because um, by the time that – well, I was seven by the time I started figuring out, hey, I seem to be different from everyone else and I don't know what it is, but it seems to be bad – I mean, the damage was already getting pretty significant at that point because I, it was doing a lot of damage to my self-esteem, and, and uh, that takes years and years and years to undo, if ever. So, um, right. starting off... Right. Hmm? Yeah, you're right. absolutely right. My daughter was four. She was in preschool, three or four. And she came home one day and said, Mommy, why am I different than the other kids? And my husband and I looked at each other like, what is she talking about? And she told me she knew. Yeah, good for These her. kids know. These kids just and, and they may not have the language for it, which we can provide, but they know something's up. So, yeah, start mm-hmm. when they're young. Um, tell parents, do it at the beginning of, of the year. Again, don't wait until there's a problem. Once you're in reactive mode, no one's listening. Do it at the beginning of every year or, you know, whenever you're switching schools, whenever you're going into a different class. Mm-hmm. Um, invite as many you know, staff as possible. Remember, it's, I te- my preference is to do whole school assemblies. Because it's not just the kids in the classroom, it's the kids at recess, and it's the teachers that are monitoring lunch, it's the cafeteria staff, it's the bus driver. I spoke at the superintendent's conference when my daughter was first diagnosed. Um, You know, I went in to speak with them, they invited me to speak to the entire staff, and it's important, because like you said, the the woman on the playground needs to understand why my daughter's doing this. Um, You know, but one thing, you know, and I just want to say, it nicks your ticks is an absolute must and i am not just saying that this book is an absolute must for any parent um who has a child with ticks um and you can go to um um life's a twitch uh, dot com and you can order it right from there but you a couple of things in your articles that really struck me was that you say that um you know people often think that um you know people with Tourette's choose to be loners because they're embarrassed of their tics but in fact it's because stimulation worsens the tics and the disorder. Right. Um, and you, you use an analogy to the volume on a stereo. Sure. So if you can just explain that and teach us how do we find our child's volume. Sure. It's a good question to bring up because, I mean, Tourette's aside, one unfortunate thing, I think, about North American culture is that we seem to treat introversion as being a disorder. And, I mean, to each their own. And... and um, mm-hmm. You know, for for um, you know, it's interesting. The clinical work I do, you know, we often, um, you know, one of the first things we're doing in the admission appointment is trying to figure out really what's this child's definition of success. Because um, there, there's not, you know, what's going to make Johnny happy and productive and feel quote unquote normal is not going to be the same criteria that Susie's going to use. And so. 
for some people, they like their stereo loud. They don't mind that they're different. They, you know, they're going to be more disordered if people start telling them there's something wrong with the way they are. And so for those sorts of kids, it's really more, it, it's less about trying to, um, uh, to, to change them or to, to mute them, and it's more about just help giving them some driver training, I suppose. You've got leaky brakes. You have a hard time stopping, so we better make sure you're pretty good on the road because otherwise you're going to get yourself in a lot of accidents. Um, so we need to give you skills for, um, for how to, to, to manage the car, so to speak. Um, but then there's other kids that come in that are more the, you know what, I, I, I just want to be, be normal. I want to be like everyone else. I, 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 I don't like standing out. I want my stereo turned down. Um, and, and so those are the ki- more of the kids where, you know, something like Nick's um, is important because um, that will actually be their, their how-to guide to say, okay, which ticks don't you like? Which ticks, you know, do you really wish were gone? And boom, here's how you get rid of them. Or that might be where a medication is, is, is more relevant. You know, an interesting thing about the medication literature is that, I mean, we often think, well, you know, talking about, you know, what's this person's definition of success, we, that's just fluff. Let's just give them the treatment. That's real. But, you know, the interesting thing in the medication literature is that if a person doesn't want to take a medication, it's less effective Right. Then if you do want to take it. And so it's it's not you know, a person's mind frame or attitude is not just fluff. Like if you're if, if a person likes their stereo loud and you're trying to turn it down, it's not gonna work so well. Um and it, yeah. you know it's, it's 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 just important because that's something that you know you discuss um in the book and it's so important that you know you get your kid. Um, because you know what may seem to be the obvious um, choice is really something that could just make it worse for them. Absolutely, yeah. and it's why I, I very purposely and I, I've taken a bit of flack for you know my writing style in the book. It's very, uh, um, it, it, it's 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 a little it, it's very aimed at kids. Like I, I'm right. glad you no know, parents find it helpful and such. But I really wrote that book. You know, just I I, I wrote it just acting as if I was talking to one of my, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old patients who don't like to read, that, that uh, don't want any, any bullshit. <laughs> they, just, they just want the straight goods. And, and, right. um, and, and you know, in, in that book, I really emphasize that, you know what, if you come up with a list of ticks you hate that you wanna, don't want to work on or that you want to work on and, and your mom comes up with a completely different list and your teacher comes up with a completely different list again, Screw their list. Right, right. It's your list I right. care about because this Nick your ticks isn't about telling you you'll be a better, more acceptable person if you don't have ticks. It's about making your life as the individual with Tourette's the way you want it um, to raise your quality of life so that you're happy. And what I love about um, your website is that you have articles that are written about yourself as an adult and relationships, and I want everyone to know that because the apples don't fall far from the tree. And um, it's really, you have great articles in there, and you're very open about you know, your life. Um, and it's, it's really something that adults are going to find very helpful, too. And I do have one more question. I had quite a few more, but I want to get this one in. Um, parents, often, <laughs> parents often ask, um, how do they know what the cause of a behavior is? Kids are kids. So, you know, how does a parent know whether a behavior is from the Tourette's 
or from just bad behavior? And how do they instill accountability, whichever it is? Because I love the analogy that you give that um, about a blind person. Um, that the blind person is not to blame for their lack of eyesight, but he is to blame if he knowingly gets behind the wheel and hurts somebody. Right. No, that, that, that's, that's a good question to end on. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, if you like that one, I'll, I'll throw another quote at you, but I can't, I can't uh, take credit for this one. This one's Sir Winston Churchill. And he oh, once my favorite. Said, <laughs> well, he, he once said, my right to swing my arm ends at the other person's nose. <laughs> and, you know... Right? That's kind of true no matter what you got. I mean, you can call it Tourette's, ADHD, OCD, ABC, XYZ, a hangover, or a hangnail. But, I mean, there's certain things you're allowed to do in this world, and there's certain things you aren't. And, um, you know, ultimately, I guess my – I'll give you two answers to that question. First of all, I'll say that that question is unanswerable because – really what these disorders are, as I've said earlier, they're disorders of dysregulation. And so it's about your brakes not working very well over different aspects of yourself. And so it's not like there's you and then separate from you there's the Tourette's or separate from you there's the ADHD. It's all you. It's just that it's you with leaky brakes so that, you know, the normal things you're thinking or that pop to mind as impulses or normal reactions that anyone would have, are a little bit bigger in you. The stereo is louder, as we said. You know, it's um, you, you, in a sense, you don't have the privacy to keep certain things internal that other people do. And so, is asking is it the kid or the disorder is kind of like asking is that area of the of, of the rectangle due to its length or its width? Like it, it, it's just a nonsense right. question. It's 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 both all the time. But then the, the other answer I want to give then is that. Um, since that question doesn't make sense to ask, since there's no real answer to that question, ask a much more productive question that's going to lead to that accountability and that people are going to agree on a whole lot more, which is, is it acceptable behavior or not? You know, are galaxies exploding or worlds colliding? And if, if so, we got to deal with it no matter where it's coming <laughs> And if not, leave it alone. And again, you know, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. If I remember correctly, you've interviewed Ross Green before, and and yes, uh, several times. Yeah, it's it's you know his, his approach of basket A, B, and C can really apply to this situation. That um, um, you know, when 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 Ross is when Dr. Green's talking about um, uh, is something uh, does something need to go in basket B, or, or how or how the steps for going through basket B. None of those steps involve figuring out whether the kid's doing it on purpose or not. It's just about, oh, we've got an issue, let's work it through. And and that right. really, really applies in this situation, too. And, you know, I think also what you said was very, very important, and I don't want to just gloss over it. You said that it's a part of them. And this is something I tell parents all the time, is to choose your words carefully. Because the way you talk about um, the disorder is really a reflection on the child. Yes. Um, you know, and it's just so important that you choose um, your words carefully because they can separate themselves from it. And I like the way you, um, one of the things you talk about in one of your articles is acceptance, which I'm big on acceptance. Um, And you talk about educating yourself on the neurology and psychology of Tourette's is the best way to understand and accept it. Yeah. Can you explain that? Well, I think that you can't really accept something until you understand what it is and the parameters around it. That 
Um, you, you may think you've accepted your Tourette's, but then there's a whole other facet of your Tourette's, at least a whole different symptom or it comes out in a different place where you weren't expecting, and you're kind of back at square one to, to have to accept that again, too, and accept the next thing, accept the next thing. And so really you're going to be a lot less surprised, which, of course, is going to help with your symptoms, too, because you're not going to be as stressed. You're not going to be living life in a minefield. Um, by, by really getting to understand what's going on so that you, you can explain it to yourself, you can explain it to others. Um, and, and then people, people really know the boundaries around it. People really know, okay, this is what it is, this is what it isn't. All right, we're good, let's, let's get on with life. Right. And, you know, it's such a frightening um, disorder. I know my daughter tells me that, that, um, you know, until she recently got the diagnosis, she thought she was just going crazy. Um, and it, it, it made her feel better to understand the, um, you know, the, the physical part of it, what was happening, the chemicals in her brain. It was just, it, it's, it's, I think it's very calming to understand why what's happening is happening. Even just something as simple as stress makes the ticks worse. If you don't know that, which a lot of the kids who come in to see me don't, then they just, they, 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 all they know is that when they least want to be doing ticks, when they're really putting pressure on themselves to not tick, that's when they tick. And so without a, a proper explanation, um, they're often coming to my office saying, I think the devil's in my head. Like I think right. someone really has it in for me, is reading my thoughts and is persecuting me from within and, and doing the exact last thing I want to do. And so you can actually... In, in, in terms of just like an, an inner life, torture yourself a lot more and, and, and feel a lot more um, paranoid, you know, and, or, or a lot of unnecessary emotions simply through um, lack of knowledge. Right. Well, Dr. McKinley, I really want to thank you for joining us. Um, you're helping a lot of parents uh, through your work, and you're going to help a lot of parents through this interview. Um, Nix Your Ticks, N-I-X. Your ticks. Um, that can be purchased through your website, Life's a Twitch. Is can they get that on Amazon or anywhere? Um, I don't sell it through Amazon uh, yet, anyway. But um, yeah, if you go to my website, there, there there's links um, to the uh, to the distributor. Um, they they can either order it online or they can download a, a, a mail-in form that they could fax in, or they can even phone the distributor. Um, or, you know, on Facebook, I've got a Nix Your Ticks uh, book group, too. It's basically kind of an online extension of the book for people um, that, that uh, just want to support each other in doing the treatment. And uh, there's the links to the book from there, too. You know, you, like so many other of the great um, guests that I've had on, um, you you are just, um, you know, you interact so much with the uh, people on Facebook and in your group, and I really encourage everybody to go over there. Um, you know, you stop in, you answer, you talk to the parents, and it's just it's such a great feeling for parents. You have no idea what that does um, for a parent that's so confused. And we didn't even get into your documentary, your award-winning documentary, Life's a Twitch. Where can people um, view that? Well, I'm, I know we I'm can get really, the trailer I'm, off your website. Well, I should say that, uh, that uh, I, I didn't produce the, um, the, the the documentary. I was I was merely the subject in it. Um, uh, Symmetry Media produced it, but I'm really happy because now the National Film Board is streaming it um, for free, and there's no no geo blocking. It's available anywhere in the world. And so again, if they go to my website under the documentary section, I've got the video embedded in my site, so they can just uh, they can just watch it straight from the site now. 
Yeah, I watched it again. It's it's fantastic. It's documentaries come home to the life of Twitch website. (laughs) I mean, I I watched it again. It's just, it's fantastic. So again, I thank you for joining us. Come back anytime. If there's anything that you find out that parents should know, please give me a call and we'll have you on anytime. Well, I'm I'm pleased to come back. Sounds like we always have lots to talk about. (laughs) No, we do. You know, the people on the chat are saying we needed a few more hours. (laughs) I'll I'll accommodate Okay, you know, because the parents really do want to know more about, um, you know, your the way that you, um, uh, what, the way you explained it in your book with the Nixure Ticks, the different treatments that you use, because it's really, it, it, it's really, it, it's, and the thing I think is so important about it is that if you use these techniques with young children, they will have this tool the rest of their lives, because Tourette's, you know, like you, you don't outgrow it, right, right. So I'd absolutely love to have you back. So thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. You're welcome. As I end the show each day, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here at the Coffee Clutch. Thank you for joining us.